Hello, we meet again, ladies. The vaginas hath spoken, and you all informed me that you not only want to learn about birth control, but that you need to learn about it. Not a want, but a need. Okay, I got it. I am all about providing what is needed, and I have a fantastic episode lined out for you today. I'd like to add, if you have any questions or concerns after listening to this episode, please feel free to reach out to me, DM, email, text, whatever. And I'll be happy to answer your questions or concerns for you. If if I am unable to, I can direct you to the correct person who should be able to best answer it for you. But first of all, I'd like to give a huge shout out to Planned Parenthood, and my good old textbook, Essentials of Obstetrics and Gynecology, (laughs) to help me brush up on some information I'm providing you with today. I need to give credit where it's due, and it's definitely with these two. With that being said, let's get educated. Now, birth control is in the category of what we call family planning in the medical world, aka Choosing and controlling when you are ready to start having children. Infertility also falls into this category, which will have its own episode as well because there is far, far too much to try and squeeze into this episode. Having control over your own family planning can optimize pregnancy outcomes by helping prevent pregnancy until it is a favorable time for you. But before we really dive into birth control, I want to talk about several facts about women's reproductive health that I found extremely interesting, by the way, too, and quite scary. Um, Start things off, 85% of sexually active couples having unprotected intercourse for one year will experience pregnancy. Guys, that is a huge Chance of pregnancy if you are not taking measures to prevent it, if it is undesired. However, 50% of all conceptions are lost before implantation, and 10 to 15% of established pregnancies result in miscarriage. So needless to say, it is a true miracle if you get pregnant alone, but having a, a successful implantation after fertilization and then carrying the baby full term The odds are truly ever in your favor. The fact that any of us are even here right now, insane. The next statistic that I found was 50% of pregnancies in the United States are unintended, meaning that these women did not want to become pregnant, but they did. Of that 50%, only half will accept and go through with the pregnancy, Again, insane that any of us are even in this world to begin with. Now, reeling myself back in from the astonishment from those stats that I found, I'm going to bring us back into family planning. So there are three different types of interventions available in family planning to prevent unwanted pregnancies. One, contraception, which prevents fertilization. 
Two, interception, which works after fertilization but before implantation. And three, abortion, which is the interruption of an existing pregnancy. I'm going to lead us off with number one, contraception. So contraceptive measures are based on a tiering system, tier one, two, and three. Your doctor will determine your medical eligibility criteria for contraceptive measures based on your medical history and family history. What that means, for example, if you're a smoker, you are not a good fit for some, if not a lot of options. So that will actually help guide your doctor in the right direction of what is a good option for you. But tier one consists of implants, the Nexplanon and Implanon, and IUDs. Most medical professionals recommend this as a first choice contraceptive option for women of all ages. They are effective immediately if inserted within the first seven days of your period or can take up to a week to become effective if placed at any other point during your cycle. Chances of getting pregnant with the Nexplanon Implanon are 0.05% and with an IUD, 0.2 to 0.8%. It's typically recommended that you have these inserted within the first five to seven days of starting your period because this helps control your cycle and to prevent bleeding in between periods. Now, this differs for people like postpartum patients, especially those who are breastfeeding, because sometimes these patients won't have a period for months after delivery, and that's thanks to breastfeeding. The contraceptive implant, Nexplanon Implanon, is a plastic rod that releases the hormone adenogestrel. Bear with me. Some of these hormone names, I can say them in my brain, but when I try to say them out loud, I just butcher it. So just keep your laughter to yourselves, okay? Um, it releases this hormone into the bloodstream at a steady, constant level. It measures four centimeters in length, two millimeters in diameter, and is placed on the inner side of your upper arm. It can virtually be used by any woman. Only a history of breast cancer is an absolute contraindication. It can be placed in an office setting in five minutes or less and can provide up to three years of protection. The implant works by suppressing ovulation in all users for at least 30 months. Um, and for the vast majority of people, it can provide up to the full 36 months as well. But a major downfall to this method is that more times than not, you will experience bleeding in between periods. My theory is that it prevents pregnancy so well because people can't have sex because they're bleeding all the time with this thing. No time to be having sex. So of course it has a 0.05 chance of getting pregnant. They're not even having sex. Moving on to IUDs, which are intrauterine devices. These are the most commonly used method of contraception at this point in time. It is a capital T-shaped plastic device that is inserted into your uterus. Now, there are five different types of IUDs divided into two categories, one being hormonal, two being non-hormonal. The hormonal IUDs are Murena, Skyla, Lyleta, and Kylina. I know they all sound like aliens. 
<laughs> and the non-hormonal or the copper IUD is called Paragard. Both copper and hormonal IUDs prevent pregnancy by changing the way sperm cells move so they can't get to an egg. The main differences between the IUDs are whether or not they contain hormones, their duration of action, and their impact on uterine bleeding. Lorvenestrel is used in each of the hormonal IUDs because it is a potent and long-acting progestin, a type of hormone, requiring the release of low doses into the uterus to thicken the cervical mucus to block sperm entry. The Murena IUD is by far the most popular hormonal IUD. It lasts for up to five to seven years. It's the most effective medical therapy at controlling and regulating heavy vaginal bleeding, painful periods, and endometriosis, aka it can be used for a wide spectrum of things, not just birth control. And eventually over time, it can even suppress or make you not have a period at all. The Skyla, Liletta, and Kylina IUDs are also hormonal, but they're just not as popular as the Mirena. And partly because they don't last as long. They last up to three to five years. They're smaller in size compared to the Mirena IUD as well. So they're actually more fitted for those who are small in size or have never had a baby before. Now with these, your period may lighten and flow, but it is very unlikely that it will ever fully go away. Paragard or the copper IUD does not contain any hormones, but it is effective for up to 12 years. So how it works is copper acts as a spermicide. It immobilizes sperm and inactivates the enzyme needed for them to penetrate the egg. Your period, however, has a 35 to 50% chance of getting heavier and longer. Thus, it is not recommended for those who already have long, heavy periods. Now, IUDs, just like the implant, can also be placed in five minutes or less, but can be very, very painful to insert, especially if you have never vaginally delivered a baby before. Now, this is because your cervix has never had to soften and dilate on its own. A medication called misoprostol or Cytotec is often called out for patients to take one to two days leading up to their insertion appointment so that their cervix is nice and soft. Severe period cramping can occur with taking this medication or after your IUD is inserted. In fact, anytime the cervix is messed with, it can offset some period cramping. Fun fact. Um, that includes with sex too. Um, IUDs can be used in the bulk majority of women, but of course there are contraindications. All IUDs in particular, a contraindication would be pelvic infection, uterine cancer, or distortion slash inappropriate size of the uterine cavity. With copper IUDs, those with copper allergies or Wilson disease cannot get the Paragard. And those with hormonal IUDs cannot get one if they have a history of breast cancer. Transitioning to tier two options, which are pills, injections, patches, and rings. They are the most popular types of birth control, but oftentimes are not used properly and can result in pregnancy. 
These types can also be used for non-contraceptive purposes, such as acne improvements. So that's probably why they are the most common and most prevalent, because a lot of the times people aren't just taking birth control for contraceptive purposes. There's a wide variety of things, such as PMDD, which is the most severe form of PMS, um, acne, mood stabilizer. There's a wide variety of things that birth control can assist with. But to start things off, we're first going to talk about injections, which is called Depo-Provera. It is an injection or a shot that gets injected into the muscle every 11 to 13 weeks. If you get the birth control injection within the first five days after you're starting your period, you're protected from pregnancy immediately. It acts by thickening cervical mucus and suppressing ovulation. The average return to fertility is nine months following your last injection. It can initially cause you to have bleeding in between periods, but can ultimately result in you not having a period at all eventually. Again, it is contraindicated in women who have a history of breast cancer. It also has many different non-contraceptive benefits as well, like I was previously saying, such as decreasing heavy vaginal bleeding, helping controlling painful periods, sickle cell crisis, controlling pain with endometriosis, and decreasing the risk of developing endometrial slash uterine cancer later in life. But a major con is that it can cause weight gain, and I mean it can cause it. There is roughly a 5% weight gain after the first injection alone. Example, a 150-pound woman could easily gain 7.5 pounds. That's kind of a lot for just one injection. Not going to lie. So that's kind of what turns a lot of people off from getting this. Bone loss is also a side effect of this medication, so it is not recommended that you be on this form of contraceptive longer than two years at a time. Next up on the list for tier two options are oral contraceptive pills or OCPs. You might hear them referred by that acronym as well. Um, There are both combination pills, which contain both estrogen and progestins progestins, that is so hard to say, Um, and also progesterone-only pills, which do not contain estrogen, only progesterone. Combination pills, just like their name, and I've already said this, have a combination of both estrogen and some other type of progestin. Now, what is this word progestin that I keep having trouble saying, and what does it mean? Progestin, (laughs) here we go again, progestin is a synthetic version of the naturally occurring female reproductive hormone progesterone. So it is a man-made version of progesterone, essentially. Now, progestins are usually part of the birth control name that is super hard to pronounce, which is ironic because I can't even say progestin. Now, when I butchered that hormone that I said earlier, yeah, that was a that was a progestin. So I just can't can't say it out loud. I can say it in my head beautifully. Combination pills are 
to be taken every day at the same time and prevent pregnancy in three different types of ways. One, they prevent sperm from reaching the egg and fertilizing it. Sperm is stopped thanks to a thickening of the cervical mucus. Two, by suppressing ovulation, if eggs are not released, they are not there to be fertilized. Three, thinning of the uterus's endometrial lining, so if an egg is fertilized, it cannot implant. There are four types and 90 plus brands of combination pills currently on the market in the U.S. Conventional combination pills, extended cycle combination pills, monophasic combination pills, and multiphasic combination pills. I know that was a mouthful and your eyes probably glazed over. But what I want to touch on is when I say quote unquote brand This is referring to the brand that is making the generic form of this medication. For example, ibuprofen is the exact same thing as Advil or Motrin. Advil and Motrin are just the brands that make their own version of ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is the generic name of this medication, just like acetaminophen is Tylenol. I know this is just so astonishing to people that are not in the medical world. And quite frankly, it's astonishing to me as a medical professional that one medication has to have 50 million different fucking names. Why can't it just be the same name? And why do so many brands have to make it? It just makes my life so complicated. Anyway, I. with that being said, actually, let me add... If you have the option to buy a generic version or a brand name, just buy the generic. It works the exact same, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. I get so many calls every day of women freaking out because they just went up to the pharmacy saying they picked up their medication, and it's the wrong birth control. But Kendra, I take Blissovi FE, and the pharmacist gave me Janelle FE. Well, Sally, this is actually the same medication, Northendrone Ethanol Estradiol Iron, but uh, Blasovi and Janelle are the, just the different brands that make the medication. Happens all the time. Also, kudos to me for not butchering a single freaking word of that generic name of that medication. I'm so proud of me. The conventional combination pill contains the two hormones, estrogen and progestin, progestin, and follows a standard dosing schedule. This generally includes 21 days of the active pill along with seven pills that are inactive. This means that you'll get your period each month when you take your inactive pills. When a combination pill contains the same amount of estrogen and progestin in each pill, it's called monophasic. When the hormone levels vary in each combination pill to mimic a woman's natural hormone changes throughout her cycle, it's called multiphasic. Combination birth control pills are 99% effective at preventing pregnancy if used correctly. That means that you are never skipping a pill. You are taking it at 7.01 p.m. every day exactly to the millisecond. However... 
This is not the case for most people. And if not taken perfectly, it is only 91% effective. Therefore, even though you're on the pill, yes, you can still get pregnant. So I would not advise letting your man go inside of you if you are not trying to get pregnant, okay? Don't let them talk you into it. I know peer pressure can be very enticing at times, but you just hit them with an N-O capital no. For maximizing pregnancy prevention, make sure to take your pills at the same time daily and to start pill packs on time. If you want to be extra careful, use a backup method of contraceptive measures such as condoms. Pregnancy can still obviously occur if you miss any pills or aren't taking them at the same time every day. You have to use them as directed or they don't do their job. Clear as day. If you start your combination pills within the first five days after the first day of your period, you'll be protected from pregnancy right away. If you start combination pills at any other time, you need to take the pill for seven days before you're protected from pregnancy. So you'll need to use a backup form of protection. A major downfall to the combination pill because they contain estrogen is that they put you at a very increased risk for developing a blood clot, having a stroke, increasing your blood pressure, throwing a pulmonary embolism, and having a heart attack. With this said, obviously anyone with a clotting disorder, hypertension, or a history of a DVT deep vein thrombosis, or a PE, pulmonary embolism, is not a candidate. Now, a DVT and PE are both a blood clot. DVT is a clot in your calf muscle or calf area, and a pulmonary embolism is a very severe blood clot in your lungs. Your doctor may want you to visit the office after one to three packs of starting the pills for a blood pressure check before giving you any additional refills. This is to ensure that you're not having an effect to the estrogen in the pill. Now, I want to red flag warn you, if you have any sudden onset shortness of breath or pain, redness, warmth to one of your calves, call 911 or seek help immediately. These are the telltale signs that you could be having a blood clot. Pros of combination pills are shorter, lighter, and more regular periods, less severe menstrual cramping, improved acne, less severe PMS, preventing period-related anemia due to really intense blood loss during periods, and reducing risk of ovarian cancer. They also do not pose a threat to breast cancer like other options previously discussed do. Now moving on to progesterone-only pills, or POPs by their acronym, contain only progesterone, no estrogen. Now these are generally reserved for breastfeeding women, but also serve a huge relief for women who cannot take estrogen-containing medications. You can start progesterone-only pills at any day of the month. You'll be protected from pregnancy after 48 hours or two days, so use another method of birth control like condoms during the first 48 hours. The vast majority of POPs is that all of the pills are active, none are placebo pills, aka there are no sugar pills in your pack for your period window. 
With that said, some women still experience a normal period, some have a lightened lessened flow and duration of their period, and some may not have a period at all. The next bullet point are patches and vaginal rings. Most common vaginal ring is Nuva ring. Um, these were created to relieve pill users of having to participate in taking something every day. The birth control patch is a type of contraceptive measure that contains the hormones estrogen and progestin. You place the small patch on your skin once a week for three weeks so that you wear a patch for a total of 21 days. During the fourth week, you don't wear one, which allows for your period to occur. You can place the patch on your butt cheeks, upper outer arm, lower abdomen, or your upper body, places where hair grow or in the lining of maybe where your bra is. Those are not good places because that interferes with the absorption. Your bra or underwear as well in that lining can rub the patch and make it come up and interfere with absorption as well. Vaginal rings, again, contain hormones, estrogen, and progestin. You wear the ring inside of your vagina and you absorb the hormones into your body through your vaginal lining. Both patches and vaginal rings act by stopping ovulation. No ovulation means there's no egg hanging around for sperm to fertilize so pregnancy can't happen. The ring's hormones also thicken the mucus on your cervix. The thicker the mucus is, the more likely it can block the sperm so it can't swim to the egg. Kind of like a sticky security guard. Both patches and rings were designed to be used for three weeks and stopped for one, although some choose to wear them continuously to essentially skip their period. I didn't mention this with the pills, but that's also an option that people can do. Even with combination pills is you can take them continuously and skip your period, but you do need to discuss this with your doctor first because it requires your prescription to be written a certain way. Both patches and vaginal rings are 91% effective at preventing pregnancy if used appropriately. Again, like other forms of birth controls, if started within the first five to seven days of your period, they can be effective immediately. But if you start on any other day, it can take at least one week to be effective. We have now arrived at tier three, which are barriers and behavioral methods. What sets these apart from others, they do not require a prescription from a doctor. Tier three methods only need to be used at the time of intercourse, but they do have a very high failure rate at preventing pregnancy. However, a bonus is that many can protect against STI and STDs. Starting things off with barriers. First up in the barriers, male and female condoms. Star this. They should not be used together. It actually decreases the effectiveness of them both. Male condoms are the most common birth control out there. Of all the things we've already talked about, condoms are the number one birth control measure. When used properly, the chances of getting pregnant are less than 2%, especially when paired with some other form of birth control like pills, for example. Most male condoms are made of latex, but 2-4% to of the population actually has a latex allergy. 
Some women can even have what we call urethral irritation from latex condoms, which can feel like you have a UTI when actually there's no bacterial infection. It's just that your pee hole is literally irritated at the use of latex. Male condoms do come in various sizes to help all of our valued penises and their shapes, lengths, and widths. There are non-latex options as well, such as synthetic plastic isoprene and lamb cecum condoms, which are very expensive, by the way. These options are better at protecting against STIs than latex condoms do. However, this does not include herpes or the human papillomavirus. Female condoms, while not as popular or used, are still available, but the chance of getting pregnant is 21% with them compared to 2% with male condoms. And as previously stated, They should not be used in combination with a male condom. You could probably light a fire with how much friction there would be between the two, aka one would break and essentially not work. But the female condom is a soft, loose-fitting pouch with a ring on each end that helps deliver spermicide to the cervix. One ring is inserted into the vagina to hold the female condom in place, The ring at the open end of the condom remains outside of the vagina. The outer ring keeps the condom in place and is also used for removal as well. Only two female condoms, the FC1 and its replacement, the FC2, have FDA approval in the U.S. However, the FC1 has since since been discontinued. The FC2 female condom is made of synthetic latex, safe for those with allergies to natural rubber latex, and is actually pre-lubricated with the silicone-based lubricant. Female condoms aren't affected by dampness or changes in temperature. In addition, some women find that the female's condom external ring actually stimulates the clit. So, hmm, interesting. There are also these things called diaphragms, which are a reusable rimmed silicone dome that needs to be sized to fit across the vagina to cover the cervix with spermicide. It prevents pregnancy by creating a barrier between a woman's uterus and a man's sperm. Chances of getting pregnant are 12%. This one does require you to visit your family medicine or OB-GYN physician to get a diaphragm fitting. They will help you decide which diaphragm is the best and prescribe it for you. They will also do an exam to measure you and find the correct size. If it is too small, it might fall out or not block sperm. If it is too big, it can cause discomfort. So it is important for your diaphragm diaphragm to fit right. Your doctor will show you how to insert it properly and help you practice. It should rest right behind your pubic bone. Spermicides are a detergent that disrupt the cellular membrane of a sperm, but can also disrupt the vaginal tissue and increase your risk for contracting an STI or STD. There is only one available spermicide in the U.S. I'm not even going to attempt to say the long scientific name. I'm just going to call it by its abbreviation, which is N9. There are 
They are available as immediate action foam and gels or also delayed action suppository and films. Chances of getting pregnant with spermicides alone are 28%, so that's not too good. Coitus interruptus, as we like to call it, pulling out. Most commonly used behavioral method there is. Chances of getting pregnant are actually 22% if used properly. So you are less likely to get pregnant just pulling out than you are by using a spermicide. So that's interesting. But in order for this method to be successful, the guy must know their own bodies enough to be able to impend ejaculation and pull out before any ejaculation occurs. Another behavioral method is called fertility awareness methods. These are more so used with people who are trying to get pregnant, but it can also benefit to know your cycle in order to prevent pregnancy as well. I'm going to go over these more in depth in the infertility episode because of this, but I did want to briefly touch on this concept. They are designed to detect when a woman is at the greatest risk to conceive in her cycle. To be effective, we have to take into consideration that sperm can live up to five to seven days after ejaculation and that the ovum or eggs duration and ability to be fertilized is only a 24-hour window. The first day of your cycle is the first day of your period. And ovulation typically occurs on average 14 days after the first day of your cycle, which means taking into consideration the sperm and the egg fact, you're most fertile on days 12, 13, and 14. So the easiest way for you to actually track your cycles is by using an app. We have this thing called smartphones. I highly recommend this app called Flow. It's spelled F-L-O. It tracks your cycle, predicts your ovulation, your chances, chances of getting pregnant on each given day, etc., etc. You have a 24% chance of getting pregnant while using these methods by trying to prevent pregnancy but they have a highly successful rate of getting pregnant when it comes time for that. Another barrier is the emergency contraceptive pill or the morning after pill. This is a pill that contains an elevated dose of a progesterone-like hormone called lorvenestrel, the same ingredient found in many birth control pills. Most common form that we're all familiar with is Plan B, but many stores have actually created and are selling a generic form or off-brand of it. They do not require a doctor's prescription. You can pick them up at your local Target, Walmart, HEB, CVS, Walgreens, etc. They're everywhere. The sooner you can take this after intercourse, the better and more effective it can be, but should be taken within 72 hours of unprotected intercourse. There is a 94% chance of preventing pregnancy when taken within those 72 hours. It is important to know both of these things. It is not an abortion pill. It will not terminate an existing pregnancy. And it should not be used as a normal birth control method. It is only supposed to be used on special occasion. It can disrupt your normal cycle and cause 
undesired side effects such as bleeding in between periods, painful period like cramping, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, breast tenderness, fatigue, headache, dizziness, and changes to your menstrual cycle. So it's best if you can use it on rare occasion. Only in emergencies, like its name says. We have now made it out of the tiering system. We're going to talk about more permanent options, also called sterilization. And it's available for both men and women. A vasectomy is for men. It is a safe, minor, office-based procedure that can be performed on a man under local anesthesia. It's a surgical procedure designed to make a man sterile by cutting or blocking both the right and left vas deferens, which are the tubes through which the sperm pass through to ejaculate. Most important thing with the vasectomy, you must go back two to three months after your procedure for a repeat semen analysis to ensure there are no swimmers a swimming. I have seen plenty of women get pregnant with their vasectomy husbands who did not go back for their recheck. So you make him go. A tubal ligation or getting your tubes tied is the female option for sterilization. It is a type of female permanent contraception in which involves severing and tying the fallopian tubes, the tube that connects the ovaries and the uterus. More common than a vasectomy, even though vasectomies are safer, bilateral tubal tubal ligations are often done at the time of delivery or during your hospital stay following delivery of a baby, especially during a C-section. However, it can be done at any point in time, but does have to take place in a surgical center or hospital because you have to be put under with general anesthesia and have to be intubated. Although effective, if pregnancy does occur, there is a 20% chance that it will be an ectopic pregnancy, which is a pregnancy that is not in the uterus and can be considered a medical emergency if not caught. Our last option that I'm going to discuss is abortion. Now, before I even say anything further, I want to remind everyone that abortion in the medical world is used for both elective termination of a pregnancy and for a miscarriage. I'm going to be covering the concept of elective termination in this episode and spontaneous missed abortion, which is a miscarriage in the infertility episode. Miscarriages are a huge part of infertility and they are not a form of birth control. Therefore, we will not talk about it in this sense. I'm actually a little nervous to talk on this concept, and I'm going to try and keep it as unbiased as I possibly can because of that. I don't want to upset anybody. Everybody has such drastic views on this topic. But the topic of abortion, no doubt, is probably the most controversial discussion there is, especially in the world of politics. However, in the medical field, we take an oath to uphold and carry out a patient's desires and wishes if it is in the best interest of the patient and ensures their overall well-being and safety, despite what our own beliefs might be. With that said, availability of abortion services, consents that must be obtained, 
and governmental regulations of specifics of the procedure vary from state to state. In Texas, elective abortions after 20 weeks gestational age are banned unless you have a life-threatening medical condition or the fetus has a severe abnormality. Under Texas law as well, after 16 weeks of gestational age, your abortion can only be performed at a surgical center or hospital. Texas law also requires you make at least two trips to the abortion provider. Most common one that I'm aware of is Planned Parenthood. That's where my clinic in particular refers all of our patients seeking elective termination to. At the provider's office, the state requires you to have a sonogram and receive state-mandated paperwork about medical risk, adoption alternatives, and developmental stages of the fetus, especially where you're at at that point in time in your pregnancy. The state also requires you to wait 24 hours after receiving the ultrasound and state-mandated paperwork before having your abortion, which honestly I think is great. It gives a woman the opportunity to truly reflect on everything and take all of her options into consideration, whether it be that she wants to proceed with the abortion or wants to go another route. This doesn't rush her at making a decision. I really like that, that part of that law. I think that's great. Now, other states such as Alabama have passed a ban on the procedure at any stage of the pregnancy with no exceptions for rape or incest. I'm just going to have a pause right there. However, it can be done if there is medical necessity, such as life-threatening medical conditions or if the fetus has a severe abnormality. Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico, Vermont, New Hampshire, and New Jersey do not have a limit on when you can get an abortion. In other words, you are able to get an elective abortion at any time during your pregnancy, even at full term. So that is the complete opposite end of the spectrum of Alabama. From a medical standpoint, abortions are a very low-risk procedure with few serious adverse outcomes. It is solely based on our patient, the woman, and her choice. And that's where I stand as a medical professional. Abortions can be induced with medications or by surgical procedures. Medication-induced abortions can induce a complete abortion in about 96 to 98 percent of pregnancies and is preferred for patients that have surgical or anesthetic complications. Surgical management with vacuum aspiration or dilation and curatage or a DNC, the dilation of your cervix and scraping of the uterine walls are preferred over medication-induced abortions in situations where anesthesia may help with anxiety, pain, or having a contraindication to taking medications, such as hemorrhagic disorders, liver impairment, or renal failure. They can also ensure that all products were obtained and that nothing was retained. Retained products can lead to infection or sepsis. Sepsis is a severe infection that can lead your body into going into shock and you can die from sepsis. So women who present with sepsis from an abortion need emergency treatment with high-dose antibiotics and surgical evacuation of the uterine contents if need be. 
abortion, with all of its controversial aspects, remains a safe and important method of family planning. I just want to remind everybody, you're not taking away abortion by banning them. You're taking away safe abortions, just like drugs. If people want to have an abortion, they're going to find a way to have one whether it be they are taking a coat hanger and sticking it up their vagina. It's, it's going to happen. And from a medical standpoint, try not to get too political. I, I think this is a great option for some women, at least to have it as an option. I don't think that it's safe to completely ban this because of what harm people can do to themselves if it is not an option. The greater the availability and accessibility to other forms of birth control and the more women and men are informed about a woman's choices of birth control, the less demand there should be for abortion overall. But to end things here and summarize everything, I'm going to be introducing a new segment called Am I Overreacting? which today's episode will be a game of true or false. Majority of these were, if I didn't answer your question, somewhere in all of the information prior, I have done a true or false with some questions that were asked of me. Number one, birth control is far more dangerous than pregnancy is. False, false, false. Most women underestimate the health risk of pregnancy and overestimate the risk of contraception. There is no method of contraception that your doctor would prescribe to a woman that is hazardous to her health as pregnancy itself would be. According to the CDC website, the current maternal mortality rate, aka the number of women who die due to pregnancy or birth-related complications in the U.S. is 1 in 6,000 live births, or 17.4 out of 100,000 live births every year. The U.S., in fact, has the 10th highest maternal mortality rate in the world. On the flip side, the mortality rate for healthy, young, non-smoking women using oral contraceptives for one year one in one million deaths per year. One in 6,000 chance of dying due to pregnancy or birth-related complications, and literally a one in a million chance of dying from contraceptive measures. I'm going to go with taking the pill versus getting pregnant. That's just me. Number two, plan B does not work if you have already ovulated. Again, that's false. Plan B actually has several functions, Besides just preventing ovulation, with plan B, number one, yes, can prevent ovulation if you haven't already done so. But number two, it may also prevent a sperm from fertilizing the egg by slowing both the sperm and the egg from reaching the womb at the same time. Three, even if fertilization occurs, it can prevent the fertilized egg from implanting on the wall of the uterus. Its function and side effects are highly affected and determined by what time in your cycle you take the medication, essentially. Number three, I've heard once you stop taking an oral contraceptive pill, 
that you can have really bad breakouts and acne. Is this true? Yes, my friend, it is indeed. This actually goes for both starting and stopping any kind of birth control with hormones in it, not just with the pill in particular. The breakout that you have having or have had in the past is literally called hormonal acne. Each time you introduce a hormone into your body, your body needs on average three to six months to truly get used to the medication. And this goes for any type of birth control as well. Some people have acne during this time frame while their bodies are trying to compensate for their new hormonal levels. With that being said, after being on a hormonal birth control for an extended period of time, the same thing can happen in the withdrawal period. Your body has to go through the same cycle of compensation and hormonal acne can occur yet again. Number four, IUDs can cause weight gain. Now, this is both true and false, and let me tell you why. They can cause weight gain. Can is the keyword here. Copper, the non-hormonal IUD, does not cause any weight gain, whereas about 5% of patients using one of the hormonal IUDs reported some type of weight gain. Now, anytime you were introducing a new hormone into your body, you are at risk for gaining a little weight. That goes back to what I was saying with the acne. Your body needs a little bit of time to get used to these these new levels of hormones in your body. And water retention is usually a contributing factor to that. As well as your mood can improve when you're on birth control and your appetite can increase when your mood is better. So these are some contributing factors that can be attributed to your weight gain when starting birth control, but the medication itself, no, if that makes any sense. It's the effects that it has on your body secondarily making you gain weight. But if weight gain is something you have struggled with in the past or is the reason it's keeping you from getting on birth control, talk with your doctor. There are so many different options out there that could be a good fit for you. Number five, being on birth control lessens my chances of being able to get pregnant in the future when it actually is desired. I want you to hear me scream this word. That is false. Contrary to what many people believe, the hormonal birth control pill does not hurt your future fertility, nor does it cause infertility. In fact, you actually have a better chance at getting pregnant being on birth control and coming off of it because your birth control has helped regulate your cycles, aka it makes it easier to track when ovulation is occurring and when to bang it out. Although some previous research has suggested that using birth control may reduce fertility, researchers say those studies only looked at fertility immediately after stopping the birth control. On average, fertility returned to normal levels within three months' time. A big study of over 2,000 women who quit the pill after using it on average for seven years found that 21% were pregnant in one month and 80% were pregnant in one year. Women who used fertility awareness methods, such as tracking your cycle, had very similar rates of pregnancy with 20 to 25% pregnant women in one month and 80% were pregnant in one year. In other words, women who quit the pill 
to get pregnant got pregnant just as fast as other women, even if they've used the pill for years. Six, birth control can cause depression. This is actually true. In a sense, depression is a side effect of many of the hormonal birth control options out there. Birth control that uses synthetic hormones can influence a person's mood, potentially triggering depression or other mental health symptoms. However, people battling depression before starting birth control, like myself, actually have a decrease in depression while on a form of hormonal birth control options. As previously stated, synthetic hormones can influence a person's mood, and sometimes it can be a positive influence and for the better too. Last but not least, number seven, I don't have insurance so I can't get birth control. This is false. There are so many resources such as, I pronounce it NURX, it's probably not, but it's N-U-R-X, Simple Health and Hey Doctor, that you can go to and get very cheap prescriptions, if not for free. And how it works is you go to these websites and you request your prescription. You'll answer a few health questions on their online intake form and pay a $15 for your medical consult, which includes unlimited messaging with a medical professional for a year. The doctors will then review your health profile And then if it is approved, they'll deliver the medication to your home and you can get automatic refills for up to a year. So that is totally not true. We would much rather, kind of reflecting back on abortion, we would much rather you have access to birth control of your choice than than ultimately having to get pregnant and go through adoption you know, taking care of a baby that you can't care for or ultimately having an abortion. There is always an option for you that can best fit your needs. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. If you didn't already see my Instagram post, I am doing a double feature this week. So I am releasing an episode this coming Friday. It is about how I have, quote unquote, attempted to stay in shape during this quarantine period and having had surgery right before the quarantine started. So it's going to be a lot about diet and exercise and I look forward to you tuning in. So instead of I'll see you next Monday, I'll see you Friday. Have a great week, guys.